First John 3, 2 said, Beloved, we know not what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And the Bible says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as, even as he is pure. And so I'm glad uh, one day after a while uh, we'll be able to lay down all the troubles, trials, tribulations, and cares, um, and we'll be able to go to our eternal home. Uh, where the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there's no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. What a glorious day that that uh, that really will be. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to read a lot of Scripture, so uh, I'm going to read uh, as quickly as I possibly can, uh, but we're going to try and get through something right here. Uh, so if you want to turn with us, I guess we'll start reading. Uh, in the seventh chapter of the book of Exodus, and we're probably going to wind up uh, in the fifth, in the fourteenth chapter. I, I've just got several verses. We're going to read through various um, chapters right here, just briefly. Uh, <coughs> the Gainesville Braves heard this sermon yesterday in the dugout. That's the truth. You can ask my son. Um, choices. If you don't make decisions for yourself, if you don't make your own decisions, you are putting your decisions in the hands of somebody else. And you may not make the decision, you may not like the decisions that they make for you. Understood? So, what we need to do, uh, uh, and I believe this applies to us as Christians. Uh, if we want to receive blessings in our life, we have to purpose in our life to, to go after and seek with all of our might, all of our mind, our strength, and our soul the blessings of God. If we desire the Holy Ghost, we need, to, we need to go after the Holy Ghost with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and all of our soul. That we uh, Listen, we can't go with apprehensiveness, scared of what's going to happen to us when we meet Him. Amen? And we can't have this predetermined list of the things that He can do for us. He can do whatsoever He chooses. But so many of us, we have, uh, listen, we go after something, and but uh, when we go after something, we stipulate how it can happen. Amen? The Bible tells us in so many places. In the book of James, he said, if a, if a man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally, and upbraideth not. There's so many things if we desire these things that God will grant us. Amen? But we have to desire these things. And we so often we sit back and we wonder, well, why can't I be that? Or why can't I do that? Or uh, why, can't, uh, why can't I absorb that? Or, or, or whatever, the, whatever the symbolism may be. But a lot of times we just don't want to. We just don't put the effort in. If you think that victory, uh, listen, just falls on us. No, victory doesn't just fall. Victory is earned. Amen? 
You know how you know how you are a victor? It's because you put in the time, the put in the effort, you put in the prayer. I, listen, I, I'm going to tell you something. I, ch- listen, uh, uh, converting a community is not done on Sunday morning. It's done at 10 o'clock at night when we're holding out the Word of God, praying over the Word of God, seeking uh, the will of God in our lives. That's where souls are converted. Amen. It's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not the deacon's responsibility. Communities are not saved. Churches are not grown by what happens on Sunday morning, Kenny. All that leads us to where we're at right here about decisions. And all that evolved from watching two kids strike out. (laughs) And the same principle applies to the church. I don't care if we fail, Dan, but at least show me that you're trying. Don't stand there and look at the ball pass by and look at me and hold your hands up and complain to the umpire. It's not my fault. It's not the umpire's fault. It is, church, listen to me. It's not somebody else's fault if you don't do anything. Amen. Sit there and complain all you want to. But if you don't do something yourself, you have no right to say a word. (laughs) Exodus chapter (laughs) 7. Verse number 14. Now, I'm going to read just bits and pieces. (laughs) So you mark this down in your Bibles, on your notepads, whatever you feel like doing. I encourage you. Listen, I know we have all read this at one place, point in time. (laughs) But I encourage you to go back and just read the entire, the whole thing. Read the entire transaction between Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 7, verse number 14. The Bible reads, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he will go with thee out into the water, and there shalt stand by the river's brink. Against he he come, (laughs) and the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. Now I'm going to skip down. Verse number 22. I'm keying in on specific words here. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. All right, now I want to skip on over. (laughs) Let's go over to chapter 8, verse number 15. (coughs) 
The Bible reads, But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Skipping down to verse 19. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now, I want to interject into this verse number 22 and pay close attention to this. The Bible says, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people uh, dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. Uh, to the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Now, what? why is that important? It's because it establishes a separation. I want us to see that. All right, skipping down to verse 32. The Bible says, And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. All right, now let's skip all the way over to chapter 9. In verse number 12. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Now, you see the verbiage change? Up until this point, Pharaoh has hardened his heart. Now we see the tides turn. The Bible says in verse number 12, and this is very important. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto, the, unto Moses. <clears throat> in verse number 14, the Bible says, For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in the earth. Okay? So this, this is a command from God. Now I want us to pay attention to this. In verse 14, For at this time I will send the plagues upon thine heart and upon thine servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me. And this is, uh, this is God speaking. Now, in uh, verse number, uh, let's see, let's skip down, verse number 27. And Pharaoh sinned and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, listen to this. Okay, now, we have this progression where Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then all of a sudden the tides turned. The Bible said that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Not only that, but he sent a plague of hardness upon Pharaoh, his servants, and his people. Now we find, uh, the Bible says, And Pharaoh sent call for Moses and Aaron, and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough, that there be no more mighty thunderings in hell. And I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. Verse 34, And when Pharaoh was in the rain and hell and the thunders were increased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. He and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken of Moses. And I promise I'm about done. <clears throat> Skipping down in chapter 10, verse number 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God. Now listen, you see what he said right there. I have sinned against the Lord your God, not mine, yours, and against you. And therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that, that he may take away from me his death, this death only. In verse number 20, the Bible says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart that he, so that he would not let the children of Israel go. Now I want to skip all the way over 
to verse number, or chapter number 14. Verse number 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back in a strong east wind all night that made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall upon them on the right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and uh, of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels and they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, and the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to the strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came in the midst of the sea. There remaineth not so much as one of them. And we believe that be all that God have us to read in your hearing this morning. And I, I'll be honest with you. As we have read through this scripture right here this morning, I'm not, I, listen, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that I don't know if there's needed, really any words need to be said in conjunction with this. But I want us to understand, friends, this morning. Uh, listen, when, when God comes to us, and I want us to understand this. A lot of people say, now listen, we look in terms of theology and we have predestination. That's the study we've been having on Sunday nights. And uh, listen, as we look at this, we address this. I, wanna, I want you to understand this because a lot of times when the word predestination is, is thrown on the table, a lot of people, they get very scared and apprehensive of that word. But I want you to understand something. Predestination is a biblical term. It does apply to the church. Why? Because predestination has the implications that God is omnipotent, that he knows all things, that his foreknowledge is the supreme authenticity of this entire world. He knows all things. Now listen, I want us to understand, and we see this through the entirety of the Scripture. Although God knows all things, He does not make choices or decisions for us. What did He tell Adam in the Garden of Eden? Go forth, multiply. One thing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat thereof, for in the day in which thou do, thou shalt surely die. You know what he gave them? A choice. Amen. But, now let's look at this in, in terms of how much Christ loves us. Amen. The Bible tells us that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of, of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Listen to this. Who was verily foreordained before the foundations of the world. Amen. What does that mean to us? That means when God created Adam and Eve, even in their perfectness, he intended for them there to live for eternity. God put in the midst of there, uh, listen, a tree of knowledge. And when that knowledge was assumed, 
so also was the revelation of sin because that was the equivalent of their disobedience to God. So then they knew. But listen, let's look how much God loved us. He loved us through our choices. He already knew the choice of Adam because Christ was foreordained before Adam and Eve were ever created. So don't tell me that nobody loves you. Jesus loved you before this world was ever formed. Jesus loved you in your choices. Amen. You think about your life. You think about your choices. He knew every decision that you would ever make. That's the beauty of Revelation chapter 5. For yet when we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen to me. The Calvinistic camp of predestination would like to persuade us to believe that God has foreordained certain individuals to go to heaven and certain individuals to go to hell. That is the theology of the day. And their basis from that scripture, uh, uh, listen, a lot of times is derived from Pharaoh because the Bible said, listen, that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, that God wanted to show his power in Pharaoh. But we need to back up. That's why I read all that scripture. It's because I want us to see it in the big picture of context. A lot of times we, listen, there's been whole religions, there's been wars fought over one verse. But the war would have never started if we backed up and read the whole canon of the Word of God. So a lot of people, they say, well, God specifically created Pharaoh to show his power in that he could be the demise of Israel or the demise of Egypt and glorification of Israel. Scott, if I went to you ten times, ten, and say, I want to leave, and you said no ten times, is that your choice? Yeah. You see, God sent Pharaoh ten opportunities. All he had to do was relinquish the people of Israel. God gave him ten opportunities. Listen, God didn't create Pharaoh to purposefully say no. Listen, God created Pharaoh. Listen to me. Listen, God created Pharaoh, but Pharaoh made his own choices. Let's, let's get into this right here. Because this is very, very important. Now, okay, we, we see uh, through verse number, or, or through chapter number 9, we see where Pharaoh is hardened his heart, right? In chapter 9, we see, and the verse number 12, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them. In verse 14, we see where the plague of hardness fell upon the people. 
Now listen to me. Do you know what the one unforgivable sin is? Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. There's only one. You hear me? There is only one unforgivable sin. That is a blatant rejection of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost. That the Bible tells us, defines to us, speaks to us. We understand that. We know that. Now listen, we, we've come right here and I listen, I want us all to understand this. Listen, they came down. Listen, Pharaoh constantly rejected the word and the hand of God. He had every ample opportunity to remove himself from the situation. <clears throat> if you've ever struggled with any kind of addiction... I'm going to get down to business now. And now I want to cue in on this. Because a lot of people, we, we go back to our de facto list again. If it's not drug addiction, alcoholism, pornography, if it don't meet this criteria and this criteria and this criteria and this criteria, then it's not an addiction. Amen? we got our own list, right? But... Let's exclude everything that we, we have purposely established for a list. You know what an addiction is? An addiction is something that you desire more than God. Period. It don't matter what it is, where it is, or what facet of life it is. If it is more desirable to you than God, if it rules your life in some way, form, or fashion, it is an addiction. Amen. For some people, it's football. Some people, it's gambling. Some people, it's golf. Amen. I listen, there's everybody. Listen, everybody has something in our life that pulls us and pulls us. And, and it's hard for us to overcome. Choices. But ultimately, what I want to get down to, and because, listen, we live in a padded generation. Amen. Ain't we so petted? Listen, Silver City, I, I absolutely love you to death. And I want you to take harm or offense to what I'm fixing to say. But I believe that is probably the majority of what is wrong with the church today is because the pastor or the deacons or whoever it is don't pet you enough. Amen. Well, he didn't do this for me, and he didn't do this one for me. And, and, and listen, all we're constantly looking for is something to complain about. I do the same thing. Hey, man, listen. I, I, uh, you know, I, I've said many times, I'm going I'm, uh, I'm to give up coaching. I ain't got time to do this. And every time we try and let somebody else do it, it's like, why is he doing it that way? You know what I'm saying? That's my problem. I'm just as guilty and just as bad as anybody else. It's a fault of mine. But listen to me. Uh, friends, listen. Uh, when it relates to the Word of God, we have to make choices. 
based on the Word of God. Listen, we don't need to make choices for our life that, uh, listen, and, and solely uh, dictate the choice that we make based on our financial future. Amen. We don't need to make job choices solely based on our families. What, what are you saying, preacher? No, we need to evaluate through the Scripture and through prayer what is the will of God. I, I, I'm going I'm to put something on the table this morning. Ever since I closed my business and sold out, I never even wanted to do it in the first place. And I've been kind of mad about it ever since I've done it. And you know what? It's hurt me. I just believe in being honest with people, don't you? Amen. And you know what? Because it hurt me and I'm your pastor, it's hurt you. Because I'm not in the position, I haven't been praying and studying maybe as much as I should have been. Because you know what a pastor is? A pastor needs to have an ear close enough to God. Not to, not to breathe, but listen to me, I, I want you to understand this as a body of people. A pastor is somebody who has an ear close enough to God. When somebody in the congregation is hurting at 3 o'clock in the morning on Thursday and they reach up toward heaven and they ring the prayer bells, Kenny, and they say, God, I need help and I need a word from you. You ever been to the church house and I'm not talking about lying to the preacher on your way out. I'm talking about when you come to the church house and you had a need and you were broken and you were hurting and the man of God stands up and all of a sudden he cues in on exactly the problem in your life and God brings glory to your soul. That is God. That is pastoring. That is being a disciple. That is being an under-shepherd. Is listening to the voice of God. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. Amen. Old preacher told me when I first started preaching. He said, read a little and pray a lot. And then pray a lot and read a little. And you know, over the years, I've found that to be true. And I, I've tried to encourage Young preachers along the way, study, study. Listen to me. I, I tell you, when I first started preaching, there's a lot of people say, listen to me. I want you to understand this about me, and this is not a gloating comment. But I have people come up to me and they say, boy, I wish I had the memory you had. And I wish I could quote scripture like you. Let me tell you something about me. I took a zero on every. I took a zero on every presentation through school because I fiercely hated talking in front of people. 
I hated to read. I had to take reading comprehension all through school because I could not understand what I was reading. I knew this about me when God called me to preach. Listen, and that's why I argued with God. I said, God, I cannot do this. But then I read that little nugget in the book of James where the Bible said, if a man desirest wisdom, let him ask of God. And you know what I did? I started praying, Kenny. Don't tell me, don't come to me with excuses about how, much, how you can't. No, it's not that you can't. It's that you don't want to. I want to show you something. I've never showed this to anybody in my life. This is pages of Scripture. On my toolbox every day, I would go in and copy this Scripture down, and I would go into work in the mornings, and I would fold to a new page and prop it in the lid of my toolbox. And every time I went to grab a tool, I would quote that verse in my mind, say, God, help me commit this to my memory. God, I can't do this by myself. I need you. I'm telling you, Stevie, that's why the song you sing, I can't even walk without you. That, I'm telling you something, Barry, that means something to me. Every day for three years, I went to my toolbox lid, and I'd flip pages, and I'd flip pages. Listen, I began, I'd listen now, once I could remember it, and I said, God, I can remember it, but I can't understand it. So then I would take every verse that God had committed to my memory and say, God, I want to understand every word. And I'd quote it over and over and over and over until God would bring some kind of clarity to the Word of God. And listen, this is, I, I'm not standing here preaching about how good I am because I am a worthless piece of trash. I am probably the worst pastor that Silver City has ever had or ever will have. These are not things you don't have to pat me. You don't have to tell me. You don't need to uh, protect me and you don't need to pat me. I know this about me. But don't tell me that you can't do something. It can't never be like it was. No, you don't want it to be like it was. Because if you wanted it, it would happen. You know why? He said, let a man have faith as a grain of mustard seed. And let him say unto this mountain, be ye moved from thence. And if thou would believe it, it would be moved from thence. If we had enough faith, we can move Stone Mountain. Amen. And you look at me and you say, no, that ain't right. Preacher, you can't do that. You see, that's the problem. We don't believe that it's true. When the prophets of Baal, when they seen, when they seen Elijah, uh, listen, Elijah sat there and mocked them, did he? They said they're cutting themselves, calling on their God. Listen, Elijah said, where is your God? Is he sleeping? 
You see, let me tell you something. You, you know how compassionate we are today. Preacher, we can't say those things. Preacher, we can't do those things. We got to pat them on the back. Encourage them. Is that what Elijah did? What are you doing? Where is your God? Is he sleeping on the mountain? Why can he not hear you? And they destroyed the altar and destroyed themselves. And Elijah finally stood up. And he said, rebuild the temple. Amen. He went back in there in the midst of them. Let me tell you something. To fix something, you can't be nice about it. Amen. You know what he did? He went back in there. He rebuilt the temple. He rebuilt the altar. He dug a, a water pit just for an example. Filled it with water, the Bible said. And then he stood back and he began to call on God. Amen. And when the Bible said, and God came down and licked up all the water and answered by fire. And you know, listen, Elijah didn't just turn around and say, I told you so. He run them down off the mountain and cut every one of them's head off. That's the part we leave off. Preacher, that's too gruesome. No. If you want to eliminate a problem, you've got to eradicate the problem. If you want to eliminate sin, you've got to eradicate the sin. Poor old David and Goliath. We always preach about him, don't we? We preach about that. Listen, as he, he got in that, that smooth stone in his sling and flung it and let it go and he hit the giant in the forehead and the only uncovered part of his body. And we say David slew Goliath. But we never tell the rest of the story. He fell dead flat. Israel standing behind David, dead silent. Philistines sitting behind Goliath, dead silent. David walked over in the midst of him, stood on the belly of Goliath, drew Goliath's sword, cut his head off, picked it up and showed it to the Philistines and said, You defiled my God. And here he cut out by himself over the mountain and the Israelites emptied the hill to follow him. You see, what I'm trying to tell you today, friends, listen, don't tell me that you can't. This was a 16-year-old shepherd. Saul said, you can't do this. Put on my coat of mail. He, he put on his whole arm. David said, get this junk off of me. I was out the, He said, I was hot in the field, God, and my father's sheep, and by my hands, God, give me the authority and the strength to kill a lion and a bear. I go in the name of the Lord. I didn't come to preach this as a message of discouragement. If anything, I hope you can see the encouragement. But what we have absolutely got to stop doing is making excuses. 
David didn't have, David was not even supposed to be there. His father sent him to go take bread and meat to his brothers. And a day later, he's in the valley and has slown the greatest, victorious, uh, listen, uh, 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 Philistine that had ever lived. And all he was supposed to do was take his brother something to eat. So let me tell you as a word of encouragement, don't tell me that you can't. I just want us to be like... Like Isaiah, like Samuel, Lord, hear my, Lord, hear my, just send me. Moses said, God, I can't go. I'm not a man of eloquent speech. That's the same man we read about this morning that stood before the king of Israel of the king of Egypt, and said, let my people go. The same one that said, God, I can't. You know what's amazing about this? Sometimes we just think that the Egyptians rode in uh, to, the, uh, to the river right there and that God just folded in on them. Let's read this. In verse 21 in chapter 14, and I'll be done with this. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, let's remember this. A pillar of fire on the forefront, which was leading them, giving them light, and a pillar of smoke behind, which was the only divider between them and the Egyptians. They could hear them. Prior to this, Moses had already ascended up on the mountain. I listen because the people of Israel, they, they'd already started complaining. Just let us go back. God told him, he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses walked down by the riverside, the man who couldn't. And laid his rod in the brim of the water. And the Bible says the strong east wind began to blow all night long. You ever heard a tornado? You know how dark it was? You know how scared they were? And the wind blowed all night long until the breaking of the day. Can you imagine, you know, at the crack of dawn in the morning when you can just start to gather your light? 
And all of a sudden, they, they gather the strength and their eyes bury. And all of a sudden, what they see is a wall of water on the right side and a wall of water on their left side. And they are absolutely scared out of their minds. And Moses takes one step into the dry riverbed. Let me tell you something. When God makes a way, there ain't no mud on your shoes. Amen. And the Bible said that they walked across on dry ground. Listen to me. The Egyptians are behind them now. Amen. Now Moses, as the Israelites clear to the other side and the Israelites are moving forward, Moses goes back to the brim of the water. God removes the pillar of uh, uh, the cloud of the pillar and the Egyptians begin that uh, they begin their descent to go after Israel. And, and if we don't read the scripture, we just think they run in there and God folded the water back in on them. No, they run in the riverbed and God knocked the wheels off the chariots. <laughs> just so they could see the choice they had made. <coughs> I want to stop right here and pinpoint this. Sometimes, sometimes the sin in our life is so lustful. It pulls us in so fast. We never even stop to see where we were until it's too late. And then we find ourselves in a state, in a place in our lives when we get in and, and we look to our right hand, we look to our left hand, there's water on every side and how we got there is broke down and there's no way out. I am absolutely convinced when, Mo, when Pharaoh got in the midst of the riverbed and he looked across, listen to me, God didn't fold the water back down on them. Moses did. Read it. God told Moses, said, lay your rod back in the brim of the water. Now Pharaoh's standing there, and all of a sudden his way of escape, uh, listen, his exit and his entry is closed. God's knocked the, the wheels off the chariot. He's standing there, looks across the river, and he locks eyes with Moses. And he remembers every time he said, let my people go. And as they locked eyes, Moses laid his rod back down in the brim of the water. Gone. Choices. They are yours to make. And it don't matter how young we are. I want the young people, I, I want you to listen to what I'm telling you by life experiences. The choices you make at a young age will follow you 
the rest of your life. Make your choices prayerfully guided. Surround yourself with godly people. Pray fervently and seek the will of God. Stand to your feet. I don't know your heart this morning. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know if there's a choice at your feet. You know, without the Holy Ghost, the longest walk of my life is from the front bench to the pulpit. It seems like in that short span, that's a lot of times why I run. You think that's funny? And in that short span, how much the devil can remind you of how worthless you are. And you know where he bases that worthlessness off of? Choices. They are a gift from God. Choose wisely.